Remember, the father here is not Joseph. The father is the God of heaven, the almighty, the omnipotent, the one who knows all things and sees all things. And if Jesus was born in a manger, it was not an oversight. And though there was no room for him at the inn, it wasn't because there was no room for him at the inn. If Jesus was born in a manger, it was because that was the plan. That was what the Father wanted to do. That was part. And we have to tease our way, because the Bible really does not clearly give us an answer as to why he was born, why he was placed in a manger when he was born. So we're going to look at some of the reasons today. Uh, <clears throat> hopefully the Lord will help us. And we'll catch a glimpse of why was it that he was born in a manger. There's deep theology in this Christmas season, if our eyes are open to it. You know, <clears throat> we can get so caught up in all that's going on, all the, all, all, all the pleasantness and the sweetness of the story and the baby in the manger and everything else, but there's deep theology for us if we have eyes to see it. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll begin to look. Father, would you bless us today as we look to your word? Lord, we are desperately in need of a blessing. Holy Spirit, uh, you're the one uh, that gave us the word, and you're the one that interprets the word to us. Now, blessed Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts and lives now and take the word and bring it close to us and bring it deep into our hearts. And Lord, <clears throat> may we go away today with a greater understanding of you and your love for us and all that you've done. And Lord, how you value us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Let's talk about the, the crib first of all, right? Now we're all familiar with the... <clears throat> with the um, uh, <clears throat> with the crib scene. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's got nice smells in it and everything's clean and everything's lovely and everything is just right in our crib scenes, aren't they? I mean, it's just all perfect. That, that's the way we like it. And, and, and you know, uh, from earliest memory, most of us have got some kind of a crib in mind and um, <clears throat> that's the way it was. Everything was perfect in it. Perfectly clean straw. But if, if we were to visit the, 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 the crib and the manger, that first crib, we, we, we would find some truths that, that, that are a little bit disturbing. By the way, how many of you have ever been in a real live living stable? Okay, so a good number of you have, right? Uh, some of you haven't. So let me help you here this morning. Uh, first of all, a manger uh, is cold. You know, typically you don't run the central heating out of the stables to keep the animals warm. You know, they've got coats on them. They can keep themselves warm. Now, if you're like my wife, you know, whenever it gets cold, I mean, even when we had a horse, she would like want to take the horse in the house because it was getting cold out there. Uh, but the reality is you don't need to do that. That They've got coats on them. They're, they're pretty well uh, made for it, so it's pretty cold. So if you go into a stable on a, in this kind of weather and you breathe, you're going to see your breath. It's that kind of cold, right? Um, you know, any chill, it's caught there. And because it's never warmed, you know, it can get really cold in somewhere like that. So a stable would be cold. The, 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 the original manger that Jesus was in was a cold place. It was not a warm, uh, hot place. Secondly, a manger is dark. Typically, you don't put the best lighting in the house. You know, you don't have the table lamp here and, you know, a nice lamp in this corner and a lamp on the wall and so on. Typically, the, uh, a stable is functional. It's got one little light in the middle of it. Now, in the days, <coughs> in Bethlehem, there wouldn't even have been that. There would have been a lantern of some kind uh, brought into this cave uh, to light it up, but it would have been dark. Now, I don't know about you, but I like lights. I like turning on the lights, you know, this dark weather. I, I like having lots of lights on. I, I, you know, I, I, it just, just makes me feel a whole lot more comfortable. You know, when you go to a hospital, one of the things you notice is there's, a lot, there's too much light. You can't sleep for the amount of light there is uh, in the hospital. <clears throat> but but, the, but the, there's light there. 
But you know what? Jesus was born in a dark room. He was born in a place that was, <clears throat> that was not um, as bright as we'd like it to be. And thirdly, a manger is dirty. Now, if you've never been to a stable, you don't know how dirty dirty is, all right? <clears throat> You really don't. We had a horse. We, uh, when we bought our house, there was a stable there, and so I think it was me. I had a bright idea. Let's get a horse. Let's just try this thing out. There was a little field, and there was a, a stable, so, you know, let's get a horse. Thought it was a great idea, you know, we'd have a lot of fun with the horse. Well, <clears throat> I found the horse was a lot of work, uh, and not as much fun as it was work, but that's a whole different story, right? <clears throat> but the, one of the most distressing things for me about the, about the horse and the stable was, you know, I, I, I would clean out the stable, and it was a mucky job. But I would clean it out. It was, it was a constant thing because uh, horses are pretty active when it comes to that area. <clears throat> but I would clean out the stable and I would bring in fresh straw and I would shake the straw around it and the straw was beautiful. It was like your, your crib scene. It was just absolutely... And I would just be so proud of myself. Yeah, I've cleaned the, um, <clears throat> I've cleaned the, uh, the, the, the stable out and it looks really good now. And, you know. But then the horse would get in there. And I'd put the horse in at night, and I'd come down in the morning, and all my work was ruined. It doesn't, he destroyed it. He would wreck it. It was, it stank. It was wet, and it needed working over again. It was not the kind of place I'd like to spend the night. Not ever. Not ever. Now, that's what a stable's about. It's about animals. Now, I'm sure Joseph did the best job he could bringing his new wife, uh, expecting a baby. Uh, I'm sure he did the best job he could cleaning that place up and making it look presentable and so on. But it was still a stable. And it was still dark and it was still cold and it still stank. I mean, it was not a nice place for a baby to be born. You know, when you think of having a baby born, you're thinking of the cleanest most pleasant place you can be. Giving birth is not fun. So let's make it as comfortable as we possibly can. That's what what you're thinking, but not for this baby. This baby was not born in a nice, clean place. It was cold, it was dark, and it was dirty. Now, why did the omnipotent God allow that? Why did God, who controls everything in this world, why did he not have a new inn built? Why didn't he have a hospital, a clinic built on the site in Bethlehem for, for, his, for his child to be born? You know, if he didn't, there's a purpose. There's a reason. Now, there are probably several, but one we're going to look at uh, in detail. But there are several reasons. Let's look at some of the reasons why perhaps the father decided that his baby, his son, would be born in a manger. First of all, we could say to identify himself with mankind. And that will be true. Jesus came into this world to be born as a man, and he was going to identify himself with us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8 is a deep passage. Uh, It's called the kenosis, and it talks about the emptying of Christ or the humbling of Christ, how he was humbled. Uh, It says, "Let, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Right? But I want you to notice there that he took upon himself the form of a servant. 
right, and was made in the likeness of men. Now, <clears throat> Jesus was two things. He was fully God, and he was fully man. He wasn't a mixture of the two, like we sometimes want to think. He wasn't God without being man. He was fully God, and he was fully man. Right? In one person. So when it says that he took upon himself the form of a servant and he was made in the likeness of men, he took the whole thing on board. When he was born as a baby in the manger, he was a baby in a manger. You know, he was going to have toothache when his tooth, teeth grew. He was going to have um, sickness and all the rest that, that, that we have because you know what? He was born as a man. He knows exactly what it's like to be you and I. The Bible says this about him, who was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And it says, let us come boldly therefore before the throne of grace. Because we have a high priest who knows what it's like to be you and I. He knows what it's like to feel like you and I do. You know, we can, we can, we can oftentimes you know, look at Jesus and say, yeah, well, he was God. You know, he wouldn't know what it... No, he knows exactly what it's like. He's been here. He's, he's done what we do. He's lived like we have. He knows exactly what... He understands temptation because he's been there. He's been tempted. And by the way, <clears throat> Jesus knows temptation on a much grander scale than you and I do. Listen, we have not had Satan himself come and park himself trying to trip us up and get us to do something wrong. Jesus had that not just in the, in the desert. He had it all his life. But you know what? He lived that life. He identified with us. He, he took upon himself the form of a say, servant and was made in the likeness of men. He knows what it feels like to be you. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I am glad. You know what? <clears throat> a lot of people don't understand uh, what's going on with you. You've got a particular set of circumstances in your life and you, you, know, you can look at those circumstances and you can say, but nobody understands. Yes, somebody does understand. Jesus understands. You say, are you sure? Even, my, yeah. He was in all points tempted like as we are. He knows what it's like to be you. He knows what, he's walked in, uh, on this planet as God, as man, and he knows what it's like to be you. So when Jesus was born as a baby in a manger, he, he changed for us from being the, <clears throat> the God who is a spirit and far away to the reality of a reachable, touchable person. He knows what it's like for us. That's very important to us. It's very important to us that we have a Savior that we can identify with, that we can look at him and we can say, yes, this is our Savior. <clears throat> we can know him, we can touch him. And he's been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We know what it's like. That's important to us. Second thing, though, <clears throat> we, could, we could say uh, to identify himself with the poor. You know, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 8 9 says... For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became he poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus was rich, if we want to talk about it in terms of riches, beyond anything we can imagine. You know, it doesn't matter where we go on this planet or who we meet, you know, or how much money they have, there is a limit to the amount of money that they have. Jesus was born to unlimited wealth. There is no exhausting the wealth of heaven. There's, it's impossible. You know, <clears throat> Jesus, as God, has never known what it is to want something because, you know what, if you're God, you want something, you can make it happen. doesn't matter what it is. 
You, you can do it because you're God. He, he has never known. He was wealthy beyond anything that we can imagine. But you know what? Even though he was rich, he became poor. He came to the place where he came down to this earth and he was poor. You shepherds from the fields. They didn't even go home, get washed up and dressed up and get cleaned up and get to, get, to, get to themselves looking right. No, no, the angels came and told them, hey, go see this baby. And they said, yeah, let's do it, let's go. And they came in their shepherd guard, garb. <clears throat> they were poor. But you know what? They could go in and see this babe who was born in a stable. That was their kind of territory. And you know, <clears throat> Jesus identifies with everybody that's ever walked on this planet. There's nobody that can say, you know, can't go into him. This babe that was born in a manger is someone you can go into. <clears throat> when he says, come boldly before the throne of grace, you know what? He was born poor. He knows what it's like to be poor. Listen, you, you, can go in. you don't have to dress up, clean up, get yourself straightened out to go and see him. No, listen, you can go and see him. He identifies <clears throat> with the poor. We could also say that it was to show his humility. Now, <clears throat> Back to our passage in, in Philippians. Uh, but he made himself of no reputation. Now somebody put it this way, that if you were to take, and take that word and work out what that word means, it means this. It means that he took and he emptied himself of his reputation. Alright? So here he is. He is God. He rules in heaven. Right? The angels worship him. Everybody gives him exactly what he wants. He, you know, we talk about privileged lives. There's no, nothing more, no, no more privileged life than this. But you know what he did? He emptied himself. He put aside his reputation. He put aside his glory. That was rightfully his. He put it to one side. Why? So that he could come and serve us. He demonstrated humility in a way that we can't imagine. He came from so high. That passage in Philippians, if, if, you, if you look at it, it's like steps and stairs down. Where Jesus is stepping down. He's stepping down from the glory of heaven. He's humbling himself. And Jesus demonstrated humility. That's one of the reasons why we can approach him because of his humility. He's so humble. And definitely being born in a manger is part of that humility. <clears throat> we could say it was to show his obedience. You know, <clears throat> Jesus did this. <clears throat> the more I read the Bible, the more I'm convinced of this. The more I look at the Lord Jesus, the more uh, <clears throat> it actually impacts me. Jesus did this. He simply did one thing. Now we look at his life and we did a whole lot of things. But we find one root to everything that Jesus did. He obeyed. He did the will of the Father. If you want to take the example of Jesus, that's where you go with it. He obeyed. He did the will of the Father. I come to do not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. He did the will of the Father, and He did it always, and He did it completely. John 4, 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to finish His work. They were all talking about food, and he said, no, 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 my meat, my sustenance, what, what, what I thrive on is doing the will of him that sent me. So that Jesus was not living for himself, doing his own thing. He was doing the Father's will. Always. 
every day. That, that, that's who he was. That's what he was. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. That Jesus came to demonstrate to us how to live. You see, before Jesus came, <clears throat> a good Jew spent his time trying to keep the rules. He had a lot of rules to keep, and he worked hard at keeping the rules if he was a good Jew. But you know what? Keeping the rules doesn't work, and he would have to admit that he failed. But Jesus came and he said, keep my commandments. And when Jesus gives us commandments, what he does is, first of all, he understands what it takes to obey them. You can't say, you don't understand, Lord. No, he understands. So when he gives you commandments, first of all, it's possible. Secondly, he does it with you. Who is the Holy Spirit? It's Jesus. Jesus enables you to live and do what God would have you to do. And you know what Jesus did in being born in a manger? He was obedient. He did what the Father wanted. Now, <clears throat> I don't know about you, <clears throat> but going out on a cold night when you're all cozy and nice by the fire, that, that's a bear, isn't it? You know, that, that's just not something we like to do. You, know, you, you get one of those cold nights where it's spitting rain and sleet and snow and so on. The last thing you want to do is get up from a warm fire uh, and go out there and do anything. But do you know that Jesus got up from his glory in heaven and came down and was put in a cold, dark, filthy crib to obey the Father. And you know what I find in that? I find I have no excuse for not obeying. I have no excuse. Because he showed me how to obey. Here's our last reason, though, and I want to park on this one. I want to think this one through with you, okay? We could also say that it was fitting that the one who came to die for the cold, dark, foul sin of the world should be born in a cold, dark, foul stable. Right? <clears throat> Paul said this. He said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and everything he did pointed towards that. You know, <clears throat> he, he did a lot of things, but everything he did was pointed towards the cross. He was born, they say, with the shadow of the cross, so the shadow of the cross was over that stable. Everything he did was pointing towards that cross. Everything he did was pointing to the fact that he came to pay the price for sin. Everything he did was pointing at the fact that this is what his function was. This is why he was here. This is what he was doing. Now, <clears throat> we don't see it this way because we live in it. It's kind of home. You know, the world's home. There's sin in the world. It's always been there. We're kind of used to it. It's kind of <clears throat> no big deal to us. It's just life. When, when somebody cuts us and hurts us because of sin, you know, well, then we feel that one already. But for the most part, we're not really disturbed by it. It's just life. You live with it all the time. You know, they, 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 they say that if you live with a smell for long enough, you won't smell it anymore. It just becomes normal for you. And that's what we do. We live with the smell of sin, so we really don't notice it. It's just life to us. You know, it's, an, <clears throat> it's no big deal to us. But when Jesus stepped out of heaven and came down into this world... That which he most hated faced him. And it wasn't the smell of a stable. And it wasn't the cold. 
And it wasn't the dark. It was the filth of the world's sin. That's what he stepped out of heaven into. And I, I, I can imagine him stepping into it, and you know, just like we step out of the warmth and into the cold, we kind of we hold ourselves close because it, it just hits us. I can imagine that when he stepped from heaven, that's what he felt. That, that, that was his first thought, sin. Awfulness, wickedness, selfishness, meanness, cheating, lying, immorality, all of that. He just felt all of it. And you see, stepping into a cold, dark, foul-smelling stable is a picture for us of what he was actually doing. He was stepping into our world of sin. Something that had nothing to do with him. Something that he had no reason to take on board, but he was stepping into it anyway. He was stepping into this awful world of wickedness and sin. He was taking it all on his shoulders. And I think there's a picture there for us that just shows us what he was doing. If I were to ask you to go to a stable with your newborn baby tonight and push the animals aside and brush the dung aside, you'd recoil. You'd say, hang on a minute, Pastor. I don't think that's, that, that's, that's a good thing to do. I love my baby. I don't want my baby to experience any of that. But that's exactly what Jesus did, and he gave us a picture. He was stepping into the filth and the awfulness of our world with its sin. And <clears throat> there's another picture here, too. There's two pictures. The other picture is no room at the inn. There's no, there's no room for Jesus. No room for the most important person that ever visited this planet. Yeah, well, you know what? There was no room at the inn and there was no room for him in life either. He's going to face the awful filth of sin every day of his life. And then in that awful moment on the cross, he's going to take it on his shoulders. And he's going to pay the price to the last drop for all of it. All of it. And every step of the way, he's going to be told there's no room for you here. We don't want you here. We don't want you messing up our temple worship. We, we have our way of doing it. We don't want you coming in and telling us about your father. We don't want that. We don't you messing up the offerings that, that, that we extort from the people. We don't want that. We, we don't want you showing yourself off to have more power than we do. We, we don't want that. We don't want you. The Bible puts it in these terms. He came into his own. His own. Israel were his own. They were his special people, chosen out of all the world, the apple of his eye. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. He was the light of the world, but men loved darkness rather than light. Go away, we don't want you. Finally came down to the place where they had more room for a murderer and a thief than they had for Jesus. And Pilate said, Who will I release to you? Will I release Barabbas? Or will I release Jesus that's done nothing? And they said, Oh, give us Barabbas. We have no room for this guy. 
They never had room for him, and they never were going to have room for him. Now, <clears throat> let me talk to you about that thought for a second. Let me talk to you about the idea that there's no room for him and the one that came to take uh, <clears throat> on board all the filth and the sin of the world. What does it mean to you? First of all, this morning if you're saved, I realize you say, well, I've made room for him. Now, how have you made room for him? Okay, I've made room for him to take away the filth of my sin and pay for it. And that was a very wise move on your part. Because you couldn't pay it. And you won on every score there. Because he gives a gift and he never takes it back. Listen, if, if, if you, you came to him with your sin, listen, he's paid the price for your sin and he's taken it on board and, and it's done, it's dealt with. Glory, hallelujah. But, but let me ask you, what's in it for him? What's in it for him? He came. He dealt with all the filth. He paid the price for it. And you rejoice this Christmas? A Savior came. What's in it for him? What did he want? You know what happens? So often, even though he saved us, we've no room for him. Well, we're glad we're saved. We're glad we're going to heaven, but we really don't have room for him. We have our lives. We have our stuff going on and we know what we're doing and we, we really don't have room for him. You know, he's kind <clears> of... <throat> The, the tag-along in the background. He's, he's that something that we needed and he's met us and he's paid the price for our sin but we don't have room for him. Now, now how would you make room for him? Well, it, it, it's really relatively simple. What you would do is you would come and say, Lord, I'm yours. I want you in my life. I want everything you have to offer and I want to give you everything. I, Lord, I want you in my life. It's, it's not a half-hearted thing. It's not a half-measure. It's a, Lord, I want you. And by the way, that's not hard. You know, this is not putting you back under the Old Testament law. Oh, man, I got all these laws I got to keep again. No, 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 no. This is you coming to the place where you say, I want you. I want all of you. Lord, I want everything there is to have of you. I want to walk with you. I want to live for you. I, I, I want my life to be your life, and I want your life to be my life, because that's, that's what he's offering us. I don't want it to be this thing where, you know, in the past I got saved, and I'm kind of living my own life, and I kind of see at the end of it. Lord, I want everything there is to have. I want to walk with you and know your presence and your power and know your life. I want all there is to have of you. That, that would be you making room for him. See, the problem is we've got so many things going on in our lives that <clears throat> are busy, that we're busy, we're, and they're important things that we miss out on the most important, on the greatest gift, on the most wonderful blessing that it's possible for a man or a woman ever to have in their lives. Listen, <clears throat> if you're here this morning and you're saved, give yourself to him. That, that would be making room for him. Lord, my life is yours. Come in, have any part of it you want to. And you know, everyone that's a child of God here today knows that's the right way. And, and you know that's the best way. So often we play with it, though. And we never make room for Him. 
And we, we, don't like to, we don't like the thought that we're like the Pharisees. But you know what? So often that's exactly what we're like. Make room for him. Make room for him in your life. Your life is his. Second thought I want to bring to you is this, right? If you're here and you're not saved, why are you holding out? Why is it that you've not given in to him and let him have his way in your life? What is it that could be holding you back? You know, the amazing thing about Israel is everybody knew Bethlehem was the place. But the shepherds came. Herod wanted to come. But apart from the wise men, nobody else really came. Isn't that interesting? Now, now why? Why didn't they come? Oh, too busy, weren't they? And that was too insignificant. And they weren't sure it was him. But for those that came, he changed their lives and their eternities. Listen, if you're not saved this morning, it's Christmas time. Christmas time is about giving gifts. But the greatest gift was in the manger. The greatest gift was in the crib. The greatest gift is the one who came to pay the price for your sins. The greatest gift is the one who came that you might have life. Don't turn him down. Don't say no. Don't, don't say another time. Don't get upset because you know what? He's encroaching in your life and kind of changing your life around. Invite him in. Receive the gift. Accept the blessing of the gift. Listen, you need it. We need it. Accept the blessing of that gift. Right? <clears throat> There's a story told about, about a, <clears throat> uh, a Christmas program. We'll have our Christmas program coming up now next week, and it'll be uh, <clears throat> fun. It's always fun, and the kids will make mistakes. They always do, but you know what? The mistakes are always fun, too. They're, <clears throat> they're always a blessed time, right? <clears throat> and uh, let me read it to you. <clears throat> it'll was chosen to play the innkeeper at the annual... Christmas play at his church. <clears throat> when the night came, all the children were in their places, nervously waiting for the play to begin. The girls were dressed as angels, the boys as shepherds and wise men. While the little girls talked and giggled, the boys poked each other with their shepherd's staffs. The little boy, chosen to play the innkeeper, had only one line. When Joseph knocked on the door, he was to open it and tell him that there was no room in the inn. That was it. All the, all, his, his whole part in the play was, he was to stand there, and when Joseph knocked on his door, he was to open the door and say, there's no room in the inn. And close it. That was all he was supposed to do, right? You, th you think he, he could get that right? <clears throat> That's what you'd expect. Very simple. As the play began, parents and grandparents wondered how their children would do that night. Everything proceeded as planned. At last, the big main moment came for the innkeeper. Joseph knocked on the door. The young boy opened it and saw Joseph and the very pregnant young girl. Something about the sight of Mary touched his heart, and he blurted out the show-stopping lines. There's no room left in the inn, but you can share my room. Some people thought the Christmas pageant had been ruined. Others thought it was best, the best one ever. Uh, the little boy told the frustrated director later, I just couldn't send Jesus away. I had to find a place for Jesus. Let me ask you, have you found a place for Jesus in your life? Are you saved? Have you found a place for him? And if you're saved, have you relegated him to something in the past that you did that got you saved? Yeah, it's got future benefits you're going to have him, but... There's no room in your life for him right now. Listen, he came for you. He came to hang on the cross and pay the price 
for your sin. He paid it in full. And if you ask me why, I would have to say, first of all, salvation. That's why he came. But if you were to ask me what was in it for him, here's what I think was in it for him. I think what's in it for him was a people that would really worship. A people that would come to the place in their lives where they would open the door of their heart to him and they would receive him in. I think what was in it for Jesus is when we gather like this and we worship his name. And from our hearts we cry out to him. Not because we're made, not because we're dragged, but because we choose to worship him. I think when you sit in your home and you take your Bible off the shelf and you open your Bible, not to do your duty, because you want to meet him. I think he smiles. I think it was worth it to him. I think when you take your life and go through your day and you say, Lord, I'm yours. Show me what you want because I want what you want. I think you're making room for him. Listen, you can make room for him. A lot of things you make room for in your life don't help you at all. But when you make room for him, oh, it helps. It more than helps. It changes life. And not only that, but it pleases him. Just two thoughts and we're done. Have you opened your heart and let him in to save you? And the second thought is, if you have, are you making room in your life for him? Are you letting him be the Lord of your life? It's the Christmas season. Busy stuff going on. Shopping and cooking and baking and clothing. and Don't miss it though. It's about him. Make room for him. You know what, today, I'm going to have you stand in a moment, we're going to pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do business with God. If you're not saved, cry out to him. Ask him to save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the Bible says, and it speaks truth. And if you're saved this morning, why don't you talk to him and say, Lord, I want all of you there is. I want to give myself to you, and I want to receive all of you that there is. Lord, help me. Because he knows you're not able, but he's able. And you know what? I don't know that this is really the way it works. But I think we could make Christmas for God if our hearts were truly open to, up to Him and we would let Him have His way in our lives. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for <clears throat> the babe that condescended to come down and to be born in the awful sin of the world shows a, a new way and to save us from our sins. And Lord, we come to you today and Lord, <clears throat> it is so easy for us to be occupied and preoccupied with all that happens on this planet. But oh Lord, I do lift this people before you. And Lord, I plead with you that in mercy you would speak to hearts today. And that where one is not saved, that today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day when they would cry out to you and ask you to save them. And Lord, where there are believers who are living their lives as though you're not the main event, may today be the day when they invite you in to be the main event. And may there be changed lives because of that. Lord, hear your people, I pray.
why don't you right where you stand just do business with God right now?